Our scripture reading from this morning is Psalm chapter 51. You can follow along in the Pew Bible or on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning. How we doing? You look great. It's half the battle. My mom always says, so we're doing good, man. All right. Well, uh, hey, we got a lot of celebrating that we're doing. Becca, again, we're pumped. We're so excited. We got a baptism in a little bit. Yeah, just, just the continual applause. Just keep it rolling. Um, I also want to acknowledge two things. Um, one, it's Father's Day, so shout out all the dads in the house. Okay, we love you. The claps, yeah, yeah, for the dads, you know. Um, yeah, we love you. We're so thankful for um, just the, the, the dads and the fathers that we have, the spiritual fathers that we have in our, in our church and in our community. I also want to acknowledge that Father's Day brings up its own set of baggage with it, um, unmet expectations in your own life, your own lived experience, your own uh, division or frustration with your own father and what that might look like. So um, I want to pray into that in a moment, but I also want to acknowledge that uh, today is what we call Juneteenth, and Juneteenth is a celebration um, that is um, basically connected to the emancipation of of slavery in um, 1864, but then... Three years later is how long it took. June 19th, three years later, was when actually the word spread. So it's both a celebration of the, um, the emancipation of slavery, uh, but in the same breath, we also um, we just consider the world of racism that is still um, in our hearts and in our lives and in our communities. Um, so with celebration comes the tension of the brokenness that we still live in in our world. So I just, I just want to, before we get started, I just want to lean into that. I just want to pray as a, as a people um, for both of those things. So, Father, we come before you together this morning um, 
with hearts of celebration and joy and gratitude um, for what you've done in our own lives. We thank you that you are our good father today and that we um, get to come to you as, as your children. And we acknowledge the hurt and the pain, um, the unmet expectations that some of us have experienced. Um, we, we thank you for um, all, all that you've done in our uh, community. But God, we, we pause just to consider the wound of, of racism in our country. And we lament um, where, where we are as a country in some ways. And we ask that you would continue to help us and to grow us in our heart for people, that you would help us to weep over the injustice and, and, and to learn where our role is um, in fighting for the justice that you've created and the justice that you long for. So we bring all this together to you and we just ask that you meet with us this morning. We don't need more information this morning, but we really, we need, we need your Holy Spirit. We need you to speak to us through your word. So we bring all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 50. One, maybe like the, it's like a top five, top 10 Psalm. It's not necessarily a, a, a coffee cup verse because it's too intense for the coffee cups, but it's, but it's one that we know, right? We, we've heard Psalm 51 and um, what we're doing this summer is we're in a series, basically looking at prayer in the Psalms, summer in the Psalms, looking at um, the prayers that the Psalms give us. Jer- Jeremy talked about it last week, but, but basically this is, our, this is our devotional book. It's like the OG New Morning Mercies, the OG Jesus Calling like this is our devotional book. This is like the worship album of the scriptures. So we're, we're pausing each week to really dive into one Psalm and to look at that, how it, how it expresses prayer through the Psalm, through how, how the writer talks about it. And this morning, what we're going to talk about is confession. And I don't know what, I don't know what that stirs up in you, confession. If you're like, oh no, here we go. Week two, you know, we're just going for it, confession. Um, for, for me, that always, that's always brought up fear, anxiety, stress. Ah, I don't want to go there. Like, let's just praise. Let's, let's talk about Thanksgiving. Let's, let's talk about how, how can we ask God to intercede. But what we pause right away just to look at confession. And, and what I want to see this morning, my, my, my real hope for this morning is that we, are, we don't come to confession or repentance in fear or shame, but that we leave this place and we're captivated and encouraged and invited into the life-giving joy and freedom of confession. So we have three things that we need to understand when it comes to confession for us to get into it. And we'll look at the passage to see how it teaches us and leads us there. But, but we need this. We need to understand ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to understand what our real needs are. And then we need to understand what motivates God. What is God's heart behind all of this? So I don't know if you noticed at the very top of the Psalm, if, if you're looking at your Bible, most of them will say, this is a Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So right away, we we, we get the author. We say, who's writing this this psalm? It's it's the man, it's David, right? We know David. Everybody knows David, right? It's like King David from from the football locker rooms to Malcolm Gladwell to every underdog story we've ever utterance. Like we, we know David, David and Goliath. He's, he's the great, he's the great one, right? He's, he's like the beloved King. The, the, the people love David. Um, he, he was, he was a great leader. He, he, he had like the OG blue check mark by his name, by the way. Like they said, Saul slays by the thousands, but David by the tens of thousands, right? Like blue check mark that man, all the followers. He's got social status. Not only that, D- David is like a worshiper. People like before Mav City was coming out with the hits, like it was David. Like they were like, when is David's new album releasing, right? 
They, they said Saul was tormented by some demon and David would just play the guitar and just strum. And, and he would just be like, oh, thank you. I'm good now. That's what David was. He was a, he was a worshiper. And God loved David. God anointed David with, with power and authority. And, and what's crazy is God actually said this about David. Nobody else did, but God said, David is a man after my own heart. That wasn't like the people who saw him worshiping with his hands up. They're like, that dude loves God. It was actually God himself who said, this is a man after my own heart. And we see this David, this David, the one that we love with all his power and authority, we, we actually see him spiral into one of the darkest and grossest moments in all of scripture. See, with all this power and authority, we, we, we see David actually um, returned from a battle and maybe for the first time he's slowed down enough to realize what's in his own soul or we, we don't know what's going on in his life, but, but maybe for the first time life has just slowed down. You know, it's like a little, little mini quarantine for David. Okay? He's just like, what's happening? I've been busy. And all of a sudden the scripture said he's just walking around on his roof. He's just pacing back and forth and he's, he's bored. And he's pacing back and forth. He's like, man, I don't know what, what to do with my time or what, what am I doing? And it says that, that something catches his eye. He, he, see, he sees a woman because he's on the roof and he's got the biggest palace in all the place. So he's looking, he's literally looking down on everyone. And he, it says that a woman catches his eye and he tells some of his fellows, some of his guys, he says, Hey, go, go retrieve that girl. I'm going to use my power, my, my, my authority to have her come in. And he, he sleeps with this woman whose name is Bathsheba. She, she becomes pregnant and David, even, even worse, he, he starts to realize this could ruin my reputation as the king. Everybody loves me. My blue check mark by the tens of thousands, you know, like everybody loves me. Now they're going to know that I, I got this girl pregnant because her man is away at war. So that didn't happen. Like they would just know it was me. So David, to cover everything up, what he does is he actually has her husband on the front line of battle and they're fighting. And he says, tells everybody else to pull back from battle so that her husband is killed in the battle. And David, what started out as him just wandering around on the roof, a little bored, maybe some discontentment in his soul has led to him, him abusing his power, adultery, more manipulation and deception, and ultimately even a murder. And something had gone so dark in David's eyes. Like you ever been in a room when the lights have been off for a long time and your eyes start to adjust? It's kind of a crazy phenomenon, right? Like all of a sudden it's like black. And then like 30 seconds later, like, I can kind of see. It's crazy. I don't know what science is, but it's wild, okay? But this is kind of what I imagine David's life, right? Like, it, it, like he, something happened and it got really dark. But slowly over time, he became accustomed to it. It became normal. He lost his sensitivity to the spirit of God in his life. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but he could see. He was living life, but it didn't have the same color that it used to. And it's how one little thing can trickle to another and another, and another, and some discontent on a roof led to ultimately murder. <laughs> and then something happens. David's friend, Nathan, he, he, he comes up to him and he says, let me tell you this story, David. Let me, let me tell you, I need, I need your input on this. And he tells him this story and he says, hey, there's this guy who, he doesn't have a lot of money, but he's got this little lamb and he loves this little lamb. He, he's, he's kind of a weird owner of the lamb. Like he's kind of the guy who lets him eat out of the ice cream. Like he's eating the ice cream and he feeds the lamb. Some of you do that with your dogs and you shouldn't do that, man. You shouldn't, that's not, that's not healthy. I don't think so. I'm a PE major, but that doesn't seem right to me. You know, but, but he says, there's this guy who loves this lamb and he's, he, he literally, he, they said he, he eats with the, with the family and it's all he's got. He's got this one little lamb. 
He says this, this other guy comes to town who's got all these sheep and all this money and he, and he rolls through town and he says, we're hungry tonight. I don't want to kill any of my sheep. I want this guy's little lamb. And he takes the lamb and they, his family eats it for dinner. And David, Nathan asked David, he's like, what, what should we do to that guy? And David right away, you know, he's like, we got to kill that guy. We got to wipe him out. That is wrong. That is unjust. That is, that is not right. You should not use your power to, to hurt other people like that. And Nathan pauses and goes all savage on him. And he goes, you're that man. That's who you are, David. And it seems in that moment that David finally realizes who he actually is. We don't know how long it had been, but, but something flowed out of David into Psalm 51. And, and, and therein lies the power of confession. And it, and it starts with our own awareness of ourselves. To pause and to be honest with who we actually are in order for us to experience the life giving joy and freedom of confession in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have to acknowledge and be honest with who we are and with who we actually are. One author, Rob Reamer, he says this, he says, you will never rise above your level of self-awareness. The things we deny about ourselves are the very things that deny us from the fullness of God. So I just want you to just ponder that for a second. Think about that. What, what parts of you are you most afraid to bring before God? What are the, what are the secrets that you have that nobody knows and, 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 and you just feel like you've put them so far away? What are those things in your life? What part of who you are feels most natural to, to hide from other people? Because this is our default mode, by the way. The inner condemnation, the inner self-rejection is actually how we live most of life. Henry Nouwen, he says that self-rejection is the great enemy of our spiritual life. Even creation itself in the story, the first time man wanders away from the goodness of God, they find themselves hopeless, lonely, and afraid. And what do they do? They cover themselves up. They hide. They grab fig leaves. They grab something that was never meant to cover them, and it covers them, and they hide behind it. And what's interesting is that the, the life that flows from hiding and shame is what you see in David, right? He's, what, what is it? It's, it's, it's judgment. It's being critical. It's actually being like, like, like he says, kill him. And from the outside looking in, you're like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, do you know anything? Like, do you know what you just did? Like, it's kind of obvious for us. We're like, dude, that is, whoa, bro. Like you're way off. But that's, that's what can happen. We can become so blind and delusional to who we actually are. And we have this tendency to, to hide in shame and it kills our compassion. It kills our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in our life. It silences and, and, and muffles the voice of God in our life as we hide in our shame and we sit in our junk and our sin and our rebellion. This is almost always the result of shame. Kurt Thompson says this, he says, judgments is almost always an overflow of our own self-condemnation. Think about that. Most of your uh, criticalness or your lack of love or your lack of compassion that lives inside of us really is just a deflection of our own inner shame, our own self-rejection. And it's the stuff that comes out sideways and tone deaf and feels like, what, are the, what is this guy talking about? It's mostly because of our own inner condemnation, the shame that we feel. I think if you pull on the thread of your own critical thoughts and your own judgments of people, if you just pull on that thread long enough, you'll actually find what you're really ashamed of. The parts of you that you are most afraid to bring before God. And see, you know that feeling. 
that self-condemnation, that, that shame, that, the self-condemnation, what Thomas calls it. It's, it's that gorilla on your back of embarrassment. It's, it's the weight that comes over you um, that when you sense that you're not all that you pretend to be. The heavy rock in your gut when you realize that who people see you to be and who you actually are, who you wish you were, there's a big, massive gap there. It's the massive gap between your ideal self and your real self, who you actually are. It's that shame. And what you do with that feeling will determine the trajectory of your life with God. Not if you get that feeling, but what you do with that feeling, because you should actually get that feeling. That is actually a healthy, normal part of our discipleship to Jesus as we feel the gap between who we wish we were, who we think God has made us to be, and who we actually are. That's what John says. He said, anyone who says they have no sin, anyone who says they don't feel that, they deceive themselves. So we, it's not wrong to feel that. It's actually part of our spiritual formation and to look more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, but it's what we do with that. And you ignore that or you push that feeling away or you distract yourself long enough, you're bound to live that life ultimately deceived, delusional, purposeless, loveless, and empty. That's what David does in Psalm 51, right? That's, he owns it. He pauses and he owns it. He says, for I know my transgressions. And he says, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He acknowledges it. He, he owns it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. You know that like kind of general confession that we can have? You know, like I'm a sinner saved by grace. Amen for confession, you know, that general confession. But the problem with that is, is, is general confession tends to lead to a general kind of love that you experience from the father where specific confession leads to a specific kind of love. And you know the difference, right? That general kind of love. That's the kind of love that you have for your weird Aunt Judy. You know what I'm saying? If you laugh, you have a weird Aunt Judy and you know it. If you didn't laugh, you are the weird Aunt Judy. <laughs> and somebody needs to tell you that because you need to be aware of yourself, you know? But it's that love where you're like, you know, Aunt Judy, you're like, I, I don't want to hang out with Aunt Judy, but I like her on Thanksgiving. Maybe I don't really like her actually at all. But I just tell her when I leave Thanksgiving, I say, bye, Aunt Judy. I love you. It's a general love. I, I love her kind of because I have to, you know, because she's my weird aunt, but I don't want to hang out with her. But there's this specific love, you know, like, like when Kayla, she, she tells me she loves me. But when Kayla says, hey, hey, honey, it's been a long day. Why don't you, why don't you go out and play golf this afternoon? Oh, I feel loved. It's specific, you know? You know that kind of love. It's, it's to the point. I feel loved. That's me. But that's how it is. General confession will lead to this general kind of love. Just this kind of, I love you. And it's what allows the love of God just to sit in your head. And I know it theoretically because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but it doesn't permeate or, or get into your heart because it's not specific to you. You think God loves you, but you don't really know if he likes you because you haven't really presented all of yourself to him. And that's what we were made for, by the way. We were made to be known and loved by God. Tim Keller, says to be loved but not known, it's superficial. And that's what it is. That's what a lot of us, we experience a superficial love from God because we just think he, he loves me, but he, does he really know me? But then he says this, he says, but to, be, but, but to be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. That's what holds us from it because we think if I really show myself to him, if I really show myself to people, there's no way. But he says, to be fully known and fully loved, that's what it means to be loved by God. 
That is what it is to be loved by God. It's for, it's for him to see all of you, to, to know you completely and to love you entirely. And that is our great need. And that's where David goes in the Psalm. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He says, wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. He says, don't cast me from your presence, but restore me to the joy of your salvation. And notice the, the fullness of what David says, right? It's not just this quick, hey, God, I, I really blew it. Please forgive me. Please forgive me, right? It's not like, like he doesn't just emphasize the forgiveness, but it's, but it's more than that. It's deep in that. He says, wash me, clean me, restore me, give me, re- renew my joy. So I want to I pull on a couple of those things. So one, right, we see there is like a transactional forgiveness. And there's a transactional forgiveness that has come through Jesus. And that's what David asks for. He says, blot out my sins. He says, make my record clean. Get rid of all of the, the, the stuff that stains my, my, my record and my wrong. And that's what we see fully realized in Jesus, right? Second Corinthians 5, 21, one of my favorite verses, probably when I probably say every sermon, but he says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God meaning that Jesus appeared before God as if he were you. He took your resume and he took it before God. And with all of your junk, all of the stuff that that, that has separated you from who God made you to be, all of the shame, all of the guilt that you feel, he took it right before God and appeared before you as if he was you. So that now he swapped us place. He became that sin, took it on himself. So that now in him and through him, we might become the righteousness of God. That Now we stand before God with our resume completely wiped clean. It is transactional. It's not, it's just truth. It's fact. It's saying no matter how you came in this place, no matter how you feel, your identity is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness for you. You don't have to beg for it again and again and again. It's just there because of what Jesus did once and for all paid for and blotted out all of your transgressions. It did wipe you and, and wash you white as snow. It's what he did. And it's not less than that, what David's asking for. It's a thousand percent, not less than that, but it's deeper than that too. He's not, Because God is not just, he does not want to just settle for your transactional new identity. Let me swap that out. But he wants to get into your heart. And that's what David's asking for. He says, clean me out, purify my heart. Give me a new spirit. See, because the reason he says that is because our temptation is to confess, acknowledge, and then try to go right back to who who we are and how we've always done it. Don't you feel that? I, 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 I'm now I'm forgiven, but now I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I got to go do this thing by my own. I'm not going to do it again. What'd you learn from it? All right, now let's fix that. That's not what he says. He doesn't appeal with that. He doesn't say, oh God, I blew it. Forgive me. Thank you that you love me and you forgave me. I'm going to do better next time. Because he knows what I need moving forward. I need, I needed God's grace and forgiveness. And what I need to move forward is God's grace and forgiveness. It's, it's, it's not a one-time thing. And then you got to, now you got to figure it out on your own. It's actually this life transformation. See, what confession does is it cultivates a humility in us. It reminds our souls that we are nothing without Jesus. It gets us in touch with our inner nothingness and it actually exposes our intimacy with God. See, because a lot of time we just want to focus on the moment, right? Even with David. Oftentimes we'll look at this passage and we'll just say, David blew it, but God can forgive him. But when you look at the story, there's moments that lead up to the moment. 
There's him wandering around on the roof, discontent. There's something that is exposed in his own intimacy with God. And that's where ultimately where God is trying to drive us back into. He wants to clean us. He wants to get rid of all the stuff that's in the way so that we might experience the relationship and the intimacy with him. He says, cleanse me, clean me with your cleansing power. Wash me. You're the only one who can do that. I can't do that. And then he says this, he says, renew me with the joy of my salvation. I think that's what confession does. It allows us to not get familiar with the scandalous news of Jesus, the scandalous message of the gospel. See, familiarity, it robs us of our wonder and our awe of who Jesus is, but confession, it makes it new. It renews the joy that we have in Jesus that's outside of our circumstances or even our performance. And it drives us back to how good and gracious God is to us. It's why it's not meant to just be a practice that's after your big mess ups or your bad weeks or your bad whatever, but it's meant to be a continual practice that we might daily. It's why we do it every single Sunday. We, we confess because we want to bring our full selves to God and we want to be renewed with joy of the, the joy of the saving grace of Jesus. And you want to be a transforming person in your world, a transforming church in our community. We want to be a church of joy. And our joy doesn't come just on circumstances, but it comes just off the good news of the grace of Jesus. And we experience that in its fullness as we bring our full selves to God. The deeper we go, the higher we end up being launched up into joy and praise. It's this, on your worst day, confession reminds you that you are a deeply flawed deeply broken person who is deeply and profoundly loved by Jesus on your worst day. And that's why confession, it doesn't create fear in us, but it creates this anticipation or this invitation to freedom that we run to, that we run to confession. And it's all because of who God is. And isn't that crazy? That's, that's David's appeal, by the way. He says, have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. I mean, notice what he doesn't say, right? He doesn't say, come on, God. Remember when I was playing the guitar? That was awesome, right? Can we go back to there? God, remember when I, remember when we did the, 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 you know, the prayer stuff that was, you know who I can be. You know who I've been, God. That's not me. I'm sorry. I blew it, but God, I'll be better. It's not what he says. He appeals. And, and, and the thing that he pulls on is God's character, not his. He says, God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. He says, because that's who you are. You are the one whose love never runs dry, who, who, who never runs out. He says, blot out my transgressions because that's, that's who you are according to your great compassion. So what motivates God? What drives and what fuels God to do what he does? What, what motivates God to forgive you? It's not you. It's, it's actually, it's, it's his love for you. I can go real basic here for a second, if that's okay. Let's, let's talk about John three sixteen. you know, the verse Tim Tebow wrote. You guys know that one, right? Sports fans in the house, you know, right? What, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. What motivated God? It doesn't say for the world so love God. It says that God's heart for humanity, for bad people, for broken people, the thing that drove him to send his son 
to earth for us was his love. That he loves us. Not our love for him, but his love for us. I, there's one kind of one-off story that I really love in the, in, in the, in the scripture and in the life of Jesus. And um, his, his buddy Lazarus is really sick. And, and, and Mary, who, who's one of his, his close people, who's really like always next to Jesus, she seems to be always getting it right when everyone else is getting it wrong. And I think she gets it right here too. She's begging for Jesus to, to come and heal Lazarus. And you know what she says to him? It's in John chapter 11. But she says, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. She doesn't say, hey, hey, Lazarus, you know, that's your boy. Come on, man, he's awesome. She says, the one you love. She, she had some awareness that his, the thing that motivates and fuels Jesus is his love. He hears you because of his love. He listens because of his love. He forgives. He wipes you clean. He heals because he loves. And we will never live out of the freedom and joy of confession unless we get this into us, that the thing that drives God and motivates him is his love for you. And it's not about your love for him as much as it is about his love for you. It's why Jesus, when he's, when he's confronted by some of the religious people of the day, they're, they're really questioning and wondering, why are you hanging out with these people? They're, 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 they're completely offended by the company that he's keeping. The sinners, the tax collectors, the outcasts of the day. They say, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these people? And rather than giving them a quick answer, to alleviate the thoughts in their head, he gives them this, this beautiful story. One of the most famous stories in all of the scripture, right? He, he says, there's this, let's listen here, guys. There's this dad and he's got two sons and, and, and one son is younger, one is older. And this younger son, he's, he's pumped up about life. He's, he's excited. He, he's got all this anticipation and he's got this kind of thought, you know, like dad, listen, I understand how inheritance works, but I'm wondering if maybe I could get mine a little bit early, you know, while I'm young and I got some energy, like why do, you, why do we have to wait till I'm like 60 before you give me all the stuff that's coming to me, you know? That's kind of audacious, kind of a crazy claim, but he comes up to the dad, <coughs> excuse me. And the dad, unlike, unlike my dad would probably do, he says, yeah, son, writes him a check. And the younger son, he goes off and, and the Bible says that he wasted it on reckless living. So my man went to modern day Vegas or Amsterdam and he just went crazy. He, 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 he spent all of the money, maybe, maybe got some bad people around him, some, some poor company. We're not sure all that happened. Maybe he had some investments go wrong or maybe some people just manipulated him or used his money. But all we know is that the money eventually ran dry. And he's telling us and he says this younger son, he eventually had to go get a job. And he's searching the one ads and he finally finds a job. And what is he doing? He's picking up He's picking up pig stuff. He's feeding the pigs. It's gotten so bad until he finally has this moment where he comes to himself. And he says, you know, it's probably better at dad's house, even not as a son, but as a hired hand at least. And he starts to write this speech. You know, you guys have been there. You're writing the speech and he's saying, okay, here, not like David, but he's appealing. He's saying, okay, God, okay, dad, I, I know I really blew it. I really messed up, but, um, <coughs> excuse me. Woo. Um, I really messed up. I blew it. Just hire, just, just take me back as a hired hand. You don't need to be a son, but just take me back as a hired hand. And he walks his way back and he starts to try to get his speech out and he's thinking, and then he sees somebody running towards him. And this is an honor, shame culture, by the way. So what he deserved, when you leave your family in an honor, shame culture, you are cut off. So when he's walking close to his house, he's thinking this might be it for me. He might've sent somebody after me. He might've seen me. And as he gets closer and closer, he sees his dad, 
And it's his dad running to him and his dad embraces him and he hugs him and the son, he's trying to get the speech out and he, he's trying to say, dad, look, I've, I've messed up. I've sinned against you and heaven and whatever else he's trying to say in the speech. And the dad doesn't even acknowledge the speech. But he wraps him up and he kisses him and he yells back to the house. He says, hey, 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 kill the calf. Kill the big cow, the one we've been waiting for, for the big feast. Get him a robe. Get him the ring. He smells terrible. Get him a shower or something, right? We're throwing a party today because my, my, my son ran away, but now he's back. We're throwing a party tonight. And then there's a scene change in the story. And there's the older son. And he's out on the farm. He's doing stuff for dad. He's been doing it the whole time, right? When all of a sudden, he, maybe he's, you know, finishing up for the day. We don't know. And it says that he heard music and dancing. Now, I've been to some parties in my day. You know, anybody else? You know, you've been, you've been, you've been to the throwdowns. If you can hear the music down the road, it's a, it's a party. If you can hear the music and the dancing, it's going down, okay? I don't know how you even hear dancing, but the people must have just been banging their feet on the ground. They're getting after it. And he hears the music and he starts to head back. And he asks one of the hired hands, he says, hey man, what's going on? There's a party going on? He says, you didn't hear, bro? Your, your brother's back. It's awesome. I don't know what comes up in you, but if I was that older son, I'd feel the same way. People kind of bash the older son in the story, but if we're honest, he's like the only logical one in the whole story, right? They're like, oh, the older son, he's so judgmental. We're like, ah, makes a lot of sense, you know? So I know you know the story, you know, all right. But the older son, he, he comes back and he, and he pulls his dad. He says, dad, get out here. Pulls him out. Dad, what? Look at him. He looks over and the younger son's just like, just, just like dancing. Like, I don't know, bro. I don't know what happened. This isn't what I expected either. You know? And, and the, older, the older son, but he's like, dad, I've been, have I not been working I've been doing it every single day for you. I wake up, I rake stuff, I do farm things. <laughs> I'm exposing myself. I know nothing about farming. <laughs> He's like, Dad, come on. And the daddy, he says, he says something really, really crazy. He says, son, Everything I have is yours. As if to say, son, it was never about what you could do for me. It was always about what you could do with me. You missed the point entirely. And so we go back in and we just see the younger son, right? He's just dancing. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Like I counted the verses, by the way. It's like, it's like five verses. This is crazy. This is, this, is, this is a wild story. It's like five verses. He is, he is like picking up pig stuff. And then all of a sudden we just see him Evidently, he's just on the dance floor, right? We're like, we don't know what happened. We just hear music and dancing. But can you imagine for a second, this younger son? Like, let me just ask you, what, what does this kid have to dance about? His performance, nothing to dance about, right? His financial investments, nothing to dance about. His, his, his role and responsibility as a person in their family, in their community, <coughs> nothing to dance about. The only reason this kid can dance is because dad still loves him. And I think that's the rhythm of confession in a lot of ways. It's you might not understand it. You might not feel it. It might not make 
sense to you, but in sometimes confession is just you wiggling your way back out onto the dance floor and dancing. And Jesus, he, he, he gives us this picture of who the father is, of what God is. So we are actually to interpret everything through this. This is who God is. Who is God? He's, he's the dad who, who loves your efforts, but, but isn't impressed by them. He just wants to live life with you. Who is God? He's the one who, who sees you in all your sin and all your junk and all your rebellion. And it just at the, smite, the small little inkling of maybe I should go back to him, he throws a party. Like the younger son, can we just talk about him for a second? He has, his intentions aren't even that good. He's not like, oh, I just love, I love my dad. I want to go back home. It's like, ah, better than this. And the dad's like, okay, let's throw a party. That is the heart of God for you. And until we see that, we don't, we don't experience the freedom and the life and the joy of confession that he sees you completely and he loves you entirely. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you literally feel that like you feel, even as I've been talking a gorilla on your back and you just need to get with God and be honest with him. The parts of you that you're most afraid to bring to God. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe there's some secrets or some things that you've kept hidden for a while. And if you feel that, let me tell you, that's the Holy Spirit inviting you to life and joy and freedom with him in his presence. And maybe this is a whole nother sermon in and about itself, but maybe it's sharing that with a friend or two friends. James 5 says, <coughs> James 5 says that, that as we confess our sins one to another, that we're healed. So while, 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 while confession, it does something with our relationship with God, there's this deep healing and it breaks the shame as we share with one another. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're just feeling low, low on joy this morning and you need to actually ask God, God, where am I not in alignment with you? Would you show me? Would you search me? Would you reveal to me where I've, where I've drifted from your presence? Maybe. <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing. It's not cool to do that these days. Not, not cool. Sorry. Um, maybe that's you. Or maybe just you, you, you feel like you've been begging for forgiveness again and again and again and again, and you don't feel that forgiveness. Maybe you just need to hear the truth of God's word and the power by the power of the Holy Spirit that you are forgiven, that you are loved. And the only reason that you can keep dancing, that you can keep living, that you can keep worshiping is because dad still loves you. Let's pray.